Father God, we come before you in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we come now as men and women, brothers and sisters, who are looking to be fed that heavenly manna from your word. Lord, I don't know where everyone is at this morning, but I do know that no matter where we've been, we all are desperately in need of that grace that comes from you. So incline our hearts now this morning, Godward. Remove distractions. Remove the noise of life. Remove the fears, the worries, the anxieties. And let us be singularly focused on beholding our great and glorious God. Open our eyes that we would see you in your radiant beauty, God. That we would see the glory of the Father shining in the glory of the Son because of the work of the glorious Holy Spirit within us. Unite our hearts here as a family to, to fear your name and to love you rightly. May we be satisfied with your loving kindness toward us through Christ. May you lead us into truth in a world full of lies. Yes, Lord, we want to be informed. We want to be renewed. But we ask that all of it would be done in such a manner that we would grow to love you more. I ask, Father, now that you would give me strength as I prepare to faithfully herald your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> like I said, today we're taking a break from the gospel according to Luke, and we will be looking in the book of Jeremiah. So if you would take your copy of God's word and turn with me to Jeremiah. And our focus will specifically be in chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. As you're turning there, a little background about myself that some of you are very familiar with. Some of you don't know me that well. So um, in my teens and in my early 20s, I was a very, I was not a believer, and I was an extremely egotistical person. I found my identity, my worth, and made sure everybody knew it in this beautiful game of baseball. I wasn't by any stretch the most gifted ball player on the field, but I worked really hard. And as a result, many opportunities opened door, many opportunities were open, doors were opened. I got to travel across the country and play on very prestigious teams. Um, there was a brief period of time there where uh, there were scouts from Major League Baseball. I was being showered with praise, and I surely believed the hype and made sure everybody knew it. Some would say that my the size of my head would rival the Goodyear blimp. I made sure to know, I made sure everybody knew how great I thought I was. I even proudly gave, took the, the nickname A-Rod 
So arrogant was I at that point that when I turned 18 years old, it was the first thing I tattooed on my body, A-Rod, because everybody had to know. I was convinced I was going to change the game of baseball and be a big shot. And then providentially, God, at that point, even though I didn't know he believed in God or think he was at work, saw fit to have me slide into second base, my knee stick into the clay, and have a knee injury that took baseball away. My sense of worth and identity was gone. I tried to recover. I tried to rehab it. But quickly found out that's not going to happen. So I joined the United States Army. Another opportunity to build an identity and be the best. To be head and shoulders above the average man. I joined the military. And I actually went as a mechanic, as Uncle Sam would often do. He said, no, you're going to be something else. And I got put as an infantryman. So I was determined if I'm going to be an infantryman, I'm going to be John Rambo incarnate. And I trained and I worked out and had the mentality, hardest workers in the room. Excel, top of my class in basic and AIT. Got to my first duty station. Made sure to be able to outrun, outshoot, and outfight everybody. And made sure everybody knew. I was going to be an Army Ranger. That was my goal. Again, career-ending injury, honorable discharge in the military, gone. Everything that I found my worth in, everything I would boast about, kept getting taken from me. And it wasn't until God saved me years later that I came to realize that as finite, sinful people, we were never created to boast in ourselves. But we were created to boast in who God is and what God has done. I had to learn that the hard way. But it's not a lesson unique to me. It's a lesson every single individual has to learn. Because all of us are prone to want to boast in ourselves to some degree. And so this morning, as we look at Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, that is what we are going to see. We are going to see that finite sinful people are not to boast in themselves, but to boast in who God is and what he has done. Let's read this morning's passage. <clears throat> Thus says Yahweh, let not a wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not a rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am Yahweh who shows loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares Yahweh. A little background to set the stage here. The book of Jeremiah was written by the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah is what we would consider today a pastor's kid. His father was a priest. Jeremiah is often referred to as the weeping prophet because his life was a lonely one. 
He was tasked by God to deliver very difficult messages to the people of God. We read in Jeremiah 15, verse 17, I did not sit in the circle of merrymakers, nor did I exult. Because of your hand upon me, I sat alone, for you filled me with indignation. <clears throat> Jeremiah was given a very difficult task in life. Judah was under the judgment of God because they have been radically unfaithful, and they are refusing to repent of their ways. And so God sends his prophet to deliver that message. And in these two verses this morning, Jeremiah is seeking to strongly encourage the people of God to approach life differently. So our first point this morning is really simple. Don't boast. Verse 23, thus says Yahweh. When you read, thus says Yahweh, an alarm should go off in your head because the God of the universe is speaking. You should be thinking, I need to open my eyes. I need to listen up. I need to focus right now because God is speaking. And that means the one who is giving me breath at this very moment demands my attention. This isn't just anyone speaking. This is God. By way of application, even right there, when we open our Bibles and we read our Bibles, we're not reading a historical book simply. We're not simply reading a, a collection of things that took place long ago. The word is living and active. God speaks in and through his word so every time we open our Bibles and, and we begin to engage with the Lord, it is thus says God. It would do us well to remove distractions, to not be so casual and flippant with our time in the word. This is something I struggle with. I have to do better. I have to make sure to not have my phone near me. A musician, Christian musician named Trip Lee once said, every time I try to get into the text, I get another text. If the people hearing Jeremiah here must give their attention because thus says Yahweh, then so should we every time we open his word. <clears throat> and so thus says Yahweh, verse 23. What is it that Yahweh is saying? What is this message? Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Boasting. Boasting is when you carry yourself with excessive pride. When you want attention drawn to yourself, when you want the spotlight on you, when you want people to notice you, when you want others to make much of you. This is actually at the heart of so much of social media. 
people say I'm just being authentic. No, it's a boasting platform for so many. Is there anything more boastful than the preoccupation with selfies? Pictures used to be to remember others. Now pictures are about to remember ourselves. I see this even within the ministry circles. So many fellow brothers in ministry. It's like you didn't even really preach if you don't put a picture of yourself preaching. We have to recognize boasting is when you want eyes on you. The people of Israel had become professional boasters. Boasting, I mean, I, we should be the least important person in our life. Boasting means I want to be the most important person in my life. <clears throat> Israel, or the, the Judah here, there's three attributes that are listed of how they boasted and put themselves before God. First, here it says, they boasted in their wisdom. So we see the smart man here in 923. It's interesting. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. There's no reference to God. The individual here seems to think that wisdom begins and ends with himself. He is the source of wisdom. Let not the wise man boast in whose wisdom? His wisdom. In Jeremiah chapter 8, chapter 4, verse 8, we read, How can you say we are wise and the law of Yahweh is with us? They're boasting in them. They think they're wise. This is absolute foolishness because the reality is, apart from God's grace, Nobody, no man, no woman, no child has any wisdom within themselves. Any wisdom you have is because God has graciously given it to you. Wisdom belongs to the Lord and the Lord alone. Listen to Job chapter 12. Job 12, verse 13. Speaking of our, our great God, with him our wisdom and might. To him belong counsel and discernment. <clears throat> it is God in his common grace that gives you and me the ability to make wise choices. The truly wise person recognizes that all wisdom comes from having a saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Without a saving relationship with God, you have no wisdom. Being able to make a, a, a wise choice does not mean you're a wise person. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. Godly wisdom, I'll define it this way. This is what, how I would define godly wisdom. The spirit-enabled ability to make the most God-honoring decision in any given situation. 
the spirit-empowered ability to make the most God-honoring decision in any given situation. That definition reminds us that we are dependent upon the Lord always. Godly wisdom is born out of humility and obedience. It's really amazing this week when I was sick, a little bug that I can't even see took me out. Took me out. I was reminded about how finite humanity really is. That we're nothing but dust. That everything I, I, I'm drinking water, I'm taking, nothing's working. All of my wisdom is profiting nothing. And I realized ultimately I have to pray right now and just have to depend upon God to heal me. <clears throat> See, we think we're so smart. We think we're so bright. And then things have come into our life and remind us we really don't know anything at all. We really must depend upon God radically for all of it. The world is shouting its perceived wisdom. Worldly wisdom has replaced godly wisdom in our culture. We've built altars to the gods of sociology, anthropology, psychology, science. We've let them govern over us. We've completely removed God from the conversation. We are in the same place as Jeremiah's audiences. We boast in what we think we know. Now, I'm not saying any of those fields or study are bad. They have their place when used properly. But they are never to take an authoritative place in our life. God is the fountain of all wisdom and knowledge. When we seek to run to those areas and proclaim that kind of wisdom and we remove God and we don't even make reference to him, we will incur the same devastating consequences. And I would say we are incurring the same devastating consequences that the people of God incurred in Jeremiah's time. Why does this civilization, why is society being torn apart at the seams? Because we're boasting in ourselves rather than boasting in God and having humility. Here's an example. You know, at our church, we're very, we speak often on this issue of pro-life. With elections and everything going on, Roe v. Wade and all that is a major talking point. Here's the world's wisdom. Richard Dawkins, touted to be one of the smartest, wisest men alive made the following statement when a woman who was pregnant with a Down syndrome child asked what she should do. Quote, abort it and try again. It would be immoral to bring it into the world if you have a choice, end quote. 
That's the wisdom of the world. That's the, the, the worldly man boasting in himself. That's the wisdom of man without God. Worldly wisdom sees a baby with Down syndrome as something to, something to be thrown away. And they boast in it to their shame, to their judgment. Now, most of us hear that and we're appalled. What does God's word say about this? What does true godly wisdom say about this? Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. Godly wisdom in that situation sees every child as being made in the image of God, regardless of having Down syndrome or not. Godly wisdom recognizes every child is a person, not an it. That's just one example. And the reality is we are more infected by worldly wisdom than we realize and we boast in it. Another name for worldly wisdom today that we have to guard our hearts against is pragmatism. We think something is wise because it works. No, something is wise if it honors God. Proverbs 26, verse 12. <clears throat> Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. That individual, that man, that woman who believes themselves to be wise with no reference point to God, they may seem wise for a moment. But in the end, it is the Lord who laughs and there is more hope for a fool than for them. And so this first indictment here that Jeremiah gives If you fancy yourself a smart man, you're not. Don't boast in yourself. Don't boast in your intelligence. Don't boast in your perceived wisdom because there is no wisdom. There is no knowledge within yourself. There's more hope for a fool than for you. He goes on, let not the mighty man boast in his might. Again, the source of strength to this man is not God, but himself. It's in his might. Again, you have to cry foolishness. Even the most powerful men are still nothing but men. Now, this might here, it can be speaking about physical power. It can also be talking about the power of influence. It's not limited here. Now, let me give an illustration. I, I love boxing. I, I believe it is sweet science. I like watching some of the old classic fights. Muhammad Ali, with all his swagger, used to say, I'm the greatest. One time, Muhammad Ali said the following, quote, 
my only fault is that I don't realize how great I really am. End quote. It's Muhammad Ali. Now, he was sensational in the ring. There's no doubt. Absolutely no denying it. Footwork, the sass, the thunder in his fists, the lightning in his feet. But I don't have any of you ever seen toward the end of his life what he was like. He was a shell of a man. Time had worn down all of Ali's strength. Death was going to deliver a knockout blow and he wasn't going to be able to recover. The most powerful of men are still but men. All strength is fleeting. There's a day coming when we will all have to stand face to face with our humanity and accept the fact that our strength will leave us. So we shouldn't boast in it. We should appreciate the strength God's given us. We should steward it well, but it's nothing to boast of. I have this very morbid fascination, I guess, with, with death. Because I think about it often. I remember reading Jonathan Edwards' resolutions. And as a 17-year-old young man, he said to think on death often and the events that follow thereafter. And that stuck out to me. So I think about this all the time. I think about the fact that I'm going to die. You're going to die. Your strength will leave you. Not just physically, but even strength of influence. I love history. History is lined with men of great powerful influence. Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, Nero, Constantine, Genghis Khan, Alexander the Great, Napoleon, Hitler, Stalin, Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden, our presidents. Guess what? They're either all dead or gonna die. The strength of man is fleeting. Jeremiah himself witnessed this in his own life. He saw five different kings. So it's really foolish to boast in our strength. You're boasting in something that the law of diminishing returns is just going to continue to fade. Listen to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus 15.2, Yah is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will extol him. You don't boast in your wisdom. You don't boast in your strength. You boast in the perfect wisdom of God. You boast in the strength of God who has conquered the grave in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not what they're doing here. Jeremiah then gives us the third figure. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. So we've seen the smart man, we've seen the powerful man, now we see the successful man. Like the previous two attributes, this individual sees himself as the source of his own riches and success. He's a self-made man, and he wants to make sure everybody knows it. First of all, there's no self-made men. 
everybody's dependent on the help of others. But this individual is boasting in it. The people here were greedy. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 10. <coughs> everyone is greedy for gain. From the prophet, even to the priest, everyone practices lying. The people were extremely greedy here. A couple of verses earlier in 8.6. I've given heed and heard. They've spoken what is not right. No man regretted his evil, saying, what I have done, everyone turned to his course, like a horse charging into battle. They're independent. They're, they're doing it on their own. They're willing to, to do corrupt things to get what they want, which is what greed does. Their greed is never a virtue. It's all about the success. It's all about the riches. It's all about getting it so they can have their source of happiness. And then they boast in it. Once again, it's a misplaced trust. Any riches you have is because God has given them to you. And he can take them away like that. Steve Jobs. When Steve Jobs died, it was estimated his worth was around $11 billion. Richard Dawkins, I mentioned earlier, has a net worth roughly of around $10 million. More money than I can ever imagine. And yet, Steve Jobs, ultimately he's passed, but when he was living in Dawkins now, they're bankrupt. They're destitute. They're living honestly in spiritual poverty. And that's really what matters because you're going to die and someone's going to get all your stuff. What's your net worth before God? Do you see yourself as bankrupt without God? Does the day-to-day -day management of our riches reflect a heart united to God? Or does the day-to-day -day management of our riches really show that we're boastful, self-centered and we want everybody to see how great we are. It's not wrong to have nice things. It's not wrong to be prosperous. God prospered Solomon greatly. It's wrong when you think that you have to live at that level. It's wrong when you think that that somehow is going to give you ultimate happiness, satisfaction, and worth. It's wrong to brag about them. If riches and success is where you find happiness, you're going to always be poor. The Puritan Thomas Fuller once said, quote, Riches leave us while we live, but we must leave them when we die. End quote. Brothers and sisters, we need to ask God to search our hearts and show us if we're what we're boasting and what we're taking pride in. Is it our, our wisdom, our intelligence? Is it our, our possessions? Is it our strength? Whatever it is, we must repent of our boasting because we are not the source of any of it. If we have those things, it is because God and his grace and his kindness has given them to us. 
We need to realize that God alone is wise, that God alone is powerful, and that God alone is the one who's infinitely rich. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. Therefore, to boast or take pride in anything other than God is idolatry. And the only way we can repent of this is if we ask God to give us eyes to see and to give us a heart of humility. The job you have was given to you by God. The house you own, the apartment you live in comes from God. Your spouse, your children are from God. Your friends, your loved ones are from God. Your car from God, your retirement from God. The air you breathe is from God. Your salvation is from God. All that you have, all that you are is from God. God is sovereign, which means he is the ultimate power, sustainer, provider, and creator. Everything comes from the hand of God. The problem isn't the things we have. The problem is our heart. John Calvin famously said once, quote, the human heart is an idol factory. Every one of us from our mother's womb is an expert in inventing idols, end quote. So verse 23 tells us, do not boast. <clears throat> Our second point, we only have two this morning. Point one is don't boast. Point number two, be a boaster. I'm not contradicting myself, hang in there with me. <clears throat> so is all boasting bad? That's a question to think through. No, all boasting is not bad. God actually created us. We were built to brag. That's why it comes so naturally. The issue for the people of God in Jeremiah's time and for us isn't that we're boasting. It's the object of our boasting. Verse 24, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I'm Yahweh who shows loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares Yahweh. Jeremiah directs them and us to the proper object of boasting. God, boast about the Lord. God has no rivals. People apart from God want to draw attention to themselves, but the human heart was created to boast, to make much of the one true God. Here's the reality. People will always boast about what they love. So, blood-bought children of God should love to boast about God. What you boast the most about is what you love the most. Worship services are boasting services. We're here to boast about the Lord. Day to day, Monday through Sunday, all seven days of the week, we should be boasting throughout the day about the greatness, the glory, the grandeur of God. Christ not only removed our sin, but he has reorientated our heart 
so that we can properly boast now. So as we boast about the Lord, the first thing we boast about here is that he under, that we understand and know him. About knowing God personally. Do you boast about the fact that you know God personally? And we think about this. The God of the cosmos. The God who upholds all things. The God who holds everything together. The God who redeems sinners. You know him personally. If you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. People love to flaunt when they have good network connections. Why? Yeah, I know this person. I'll put a good word for you. We love to boast about the connections we have. We know God personally. How often do we boast about that? You see a brother or sister in a situation, you literally are telling them, I'm going to go to God directly and talk to him for you. Think about that connection there. We should boast about the fact that we know God personally, not because of anything within ourselves, but because by his grace and mercy, he called us to himself and through Christ. To understand, when he says here, understands, it means to comprehend. Do you realize there was a point in your life where if somebody would have told you truths about God, it would have been like speaking a foreign language. It just didn't compute. You're like, yeah, you know how that is. You talk to somebody on the street or at work, who's not a believer, and you try telling them about, man, God is sovereign. He providentially worked this thing. And they're like, okay, it doesn't make sense, right? God hasn't turned the lights on. They don't understand, but you understand the things of God because God in his grace has given you a mind now to understand. Know, understands and knows me, knows a personal relationship. You just don't know God as an abstract figure. You don't know him simply as a powerful being so far away, but you know him personally as father. You know him personally as Lord, as redeemer. You know him personally as the spirit of God who dwells in you. So we should boast about the fact that we know God personally. We understand things of who he is. He reveals himself to us. We know him in the most intimate of relationships. This is why theology matters. Doctrine is fuel for devotion. We should boast much of this. So much, maybe the reason we don't boast about God so much is because we know so little. Maybe if we spend more time with God than we do with men, we would boast of God more among men. Now, there's a big difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. <clears throat> and this is a dangerous but easy place to find ourselves. So we need to walk with deep humility, remembering that the only reason we know God is because in his loving grace, he revealed himself to us through his word, by his spirit. He's given us hearts and eyes to see him and feel him, minds to understand him. The unregenerate man can understand doctrine. The unregenerate man cannot love the God that that doctrine is pointing to. We should boast in the fact that we can know 
God personally, that we can understand him. He goes on to say that he knows and understands me, that I am Yahweh. <clears throat> That's God's covenant name. He's not, saying, he's not saying that I am a God, that I am God, that I'm Yahweh, that I am the God of covenants, that I am the God who delivered Israel, that I am the God who has done everything necessary to enter into relationship with you. This is why I do love the Legacy Standard Bible, because it can become so easy to see the word Lord, Lord, Lord in all capital letters. And just think about God as this is a title. But this is his name. Think about it. Um, if you were to see somebody, you know, we, the most powerful person in the U.S., the president, arguably. Right. You would go up to them and say, Mr. President. Right. I wouldn't go up to our current president and be like, what's going on, Joe? I don't know him like that. I wouldn't go up to our previous president. None of them. No, Mr. President. You go up to the boss of any major company. Mr. So-and-so. You address them by their title. It's respect. We should show God that respect, but God actually says, I'm going to disclose my name to you. That I'm Yahweh. You know me personally. You know my personal name. Do you realize the, how can we not boast of such a great privilege? God has revealed himself to us in the most personal of ways. God doesn't want you to have a distant and just general relationship with him. He wants you to have a personal and intimate knowledge and relationship with him. He wants you to understand, to know him. Who is he? I'm Yahweh. In that name is wrapped up the story of redemption for the Old Testament saints. The greatest good any single human being could ever receive is to truly know God, to know God as Redeemer, not just intellectually, but personally. <clears throat> Early on in my faith, I went through a very rough patch. I was growing in my knowledge of the word of God, but I wasn't in proper relationship with God. I drifted and kind of been pulled out to sea. I was walking my own ways. I wasn't seeking to walk hand in hand with the Lord. And it was a very terrifying season of my life because I knew God was real, but I wasn't in relationship with him. There was no ignorance. It was just rebellion. That's where the people in this passage are. They're relationally estranged from the Redeemer. But by God's grace alone, God sent a Jeremiah into my life to tell me of my misplaced boasting, my misplaced trust, to warn me of the judgment that I would incur if I didn't repent, but also of the unspeakable joy I would receive if I did. Maybe you're in that place today. Maybe this morning you're having more in common with the people Jeremiah is preaching to than you have with Jeremiah. Years of Bible reading and church attendance have kind of dulled your heart. You can recite verses, but while you're having a quiet time, you actually feel distant from God. Or maybe you're not prioritizing that time with the Lord. 
you know, I'm good. I know God. He loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. And you just kind of go on with your day. But with each passing moment, maybe you're having a harder time living out the truth of your faith, much less delighting in God. If that's where you're at, then I plead with you to reach out and grab the Father's hand. Ask him to restore the joy of your salvation. To restore the joy of knowing him through his word, by his spirit, through his son. And a good place to start is to start boasting in God. Instead of taking your, instead of focusing on your lamenting to God, and there's a place for genuine lament. Instead of lament, bringing all your laments before God, just start boasting in God. It'll change the perspective on your laments. Jeremiah wraps up with three attributes of God. First one he says is loving kindness. Loving kindness is is also rendered steadfast love. It's, It's not the general love that God has for his creation. It's far richer. It's the covenantal love that God has for his people. It's a love that's that's intimate, it's constant, it's unfailing. And so though the people here are weak and in sin, Jeremiah is reminding them and us that God, the one true God, is the God who keeps covenant love for his people. Despite their sin and rebellion, God has set his heart on them and his unfailing love will not falter in their failure. I want you to hear that. God's love will not falter in your moments of failure. Though they are drifting, they can never drift beyond the redeeming arms of God. Likewise, we cannot drift beyond the redeeming arms of God if we have truly repented of our sin and trusted in Christ. In Jeremiah 32, 37 through 41, it reads, Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger, my wrath, and in my great indignation. I will bring them back to this place, and I will make them dwell in safety. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way, and they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart, with all my soul. See that promise that God gives? It's a promise that flows from his loving kindness. It's a promise that's looking forward to the coming of Christ, the Lamb of God who pays the price for sin. So he says, they understand, they know me. I'm a a God of loving kindness. And he says, I'm a God of justice and righteousness. I'm a God who doesn't show favoritism. I'm a God who doesn't show bias. I'm a God who perfectly condemns the guilty. I'm a God who perfectly vindicates the righteous. 
I'm a God that should be worshipped for these things. A God whose perfect justice will be feared by many and loved by others. Everybody wants justice in the world, right? Social justice. By what standard? By what standard? As the culture rages about justice, we need to point them back to God. God is the ultimate standard of justice. If there is no God, there is no standard for justice. But because there is one true God and that he is holy and perfect and righteous, justice is true and real. When he says righteousness, it's talking about the moral perfection of God. Our God is free from any sin or wrongdoing. Our God always does what is right. God is not only righteous, but he loves righteousness. One of the ways you and I boast in the righteousness of God is by seeking to live in obedience to his commands and walk in righteousness. During this time, the people were walking in sin. Jeremiah is calling them to return, to repent. When you put all this together, Jeremiah says, don't boast in your wisdom. Don't boast in your strength. Don't boast in your riches, because to boast in that's to boast in nothing at all. Rather, boast in this. There is a God, and he's allowed you to know him personally. He's a God who's full of loving kindness. He's a God who's perfectly just. He's a God who always does what's right. He's a God who's completely for you. For us, as we turn our eyes to Jesus in this moment, in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we see that loving kindness, that justice, and that righteousness of God come together. In the gospel, we see the steadfast love of God by providing a way for sinners to be forgiven and be brought back in relationship. In the gospel, we see justice and righteousness of God upheld when the wrath of God is poured out on Christ on behalf of sinners. And in the gospel, we also see justice and righteousness of God upheld in the resurrection of Christ, who was sinless. Therefore, when you and I boast about God, we should be boasting in Christ. Listen to these words from the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. <clears throat> but may it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Here's a few practical ways for us to grow in this. First, we need to pray and ask God to change the desires of our heart to reflect his desires. Second, we need to delight ourselves in the character of God. The more we learn who God is, the more we can delight in him for who he is. One of my heroes in the faith is Jonathan Edwards. He said the following in a sermon titled, The Excellencies of Christ, quote, The person of Christ brings together infinite highness and infinite condescension. Infinite justice and infinite grace, infinite glory and lowest humility, infinite majesty and transcendent meekness, deepest reverence towards God and equality with God, 
infinite worthiness of good and greatest patience under suffering evil, exceeding spirit of obedience with supreme dominion over heaven and earth, absolute sovereignty and perfect resignation, self-sufficiency and entire trust and reliance upon God, end quote. This is the God that we have the privilege of understanding and knowing. Thirdly, delight yourself in God's love for you. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Fourth, delight yourself in knowing that nothing can separate you from God's love. Romans 8, 38 through 39. Fifth, lastly, delight yourself in knowing that God is at work in you, shaping you to be more like his son so that you can enjoy more of him. Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. These are ways that we can boast in God. All of us boast wrongly and so much within ourselves. But I hope that this morning, just briefly considering who God is, we realize how foolish it is. I was gripped late last night about the fact that I can know God personally. You can know God personally through Christ. What else would be worth boasting in? Let's pray. <coughs> Father God, we come before you now in the name of Christ. And that is the name we seek to lift up high. That is the name we seek to boast of. That is the name we seek to make much of in everything we think, say, do, and desire. Father, we repent of the fact that so often we find our, our joy in boasting of things that are just not worth it. We boast in the gift more than the gift giver so often. So, Father, we, we, we ask that you would forgive us of that. We ask that you would give us clear vision, that you would clear our vision, that we would behold you in your wondrous glory. And that we would see, behold our God in such a way that how could we not boast in you? Father, let us boast in you, God, not only when the sun is shining, but even in the darkness of the night. Let us boast in you always. We thank you that we're able to gather here as a church, as a family in Christ, and boast of you in this service, but we ask that it wouldn't be limited to this service. Father, as the world boasts in its depravity, may we boast all the more in who you are. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.